Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special, very unique episode of the Here We Are podcast. This is a uh, cross uh, cross posting. I don't, I don't know exactly what the word is for it. This is my podcast and my friend Peter McGraw's podcast. Uh, I'm not joking. All in the same episode, Peter and I. Before before stuff really hit the fan, we recorded two of these episodes, so you get two in a row, uh, promoting his new book, which I'm in and I'm a part of. I have sections all through it. It's called Shtick to Business, What the Masters of Comedy Can Teach You About Breaking Rules, Being Fearless, and Building a Serious Career. Never has there been a more timely uh, um, chance to start a new career thinking about changing jobs, uh, educating yourself, thinking outside of the box, all these things that um, that comedians um, often have to use in their careers and then seeing real-life business lessons um, that are applicable to many of the techniques that are used in comedy writing rooms and improv groups that stand-ups use, that sort of stuff. So it's a really fun way to maybe pick up a few techniques, a few things to think about to better your life. So I hope you enjoy this episode. There, This is part one of two. And speaking of educating yourself, there has absolutely never been a, a better opportunity and a more pressing opportunity to not only educate yourself, but potentially your family as well. For those of you um, trying to uh, help um, uh, teaching kids at home, and also for those of you that are trying to uh, do lifelong learning, which I'm a huge fan of, I have been I've had the good fortune of working with the Great Courses Plus uh, for about a year now. Now, I've actually been taking Great Courses uh, Plus classes for about 10 years now. They're a big part of how I I have a lot of the information and, and background that I that I do when I approach these um, uh, these podcasts. And it used to be back in the day you had to get them get them through DVDs. Uh, they would be hundreds of dollars for a class. I would often get them on eBay used to save money. Sorry, great courses, but I did. And now you can get it for only $10 a month when you sign up for a quarterly plan through my special link, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are. I absolutely 100% believe in this product. I have been promoting online courses on this podcast for years before I ever had a partnership like this. And so it's amazing to see great courses uh, out there and available for people at the the cheapest price ever and never has there been a more relevant time if you're really interested in knowing more about what's going on you can you can take a introduction to infection uh, to infectious diseases uh, another relevant uh, topic there's uh, there's a class uh, a lecture series on money and banking what everyone should know and uh, kind of helps contextualize the current stock market. And there's also fighting misinformation, digital media literacy to help interpret fact from fiction in the news. Uh, not to mention there's a zillion other courses so you can go through and browse even before you sign up. But when you do, you can help yourself and help support the show by going through thegreatcoursesplus.com slash here we are. Enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Welcome to a special dual taping of I'm Not Joking, the podcast that looks at the lives of funny people. And a special recording of the Here We Are podcast science podcast hosted by comedian shane moss that's shane moss and that's peter mcgraw yes we're going to introduce each other to our respective listeners oh 
And uh, this podcast coincides with the launch of my new book, Stick to Business, What the Masters of Comedy Can Teach You About Breaking Rules, Being Fearless, and Building a Serious Career. You can find out about it on my website, petermcgraw.org, or just go to Amazon. Give Amazon your money. They need it. They need all the help they can get. So since there'll be more listeners for Here We Are, maybe, maybe you should start with the introduction of who I am. Oh, sure. Why not? This is my oldest scientist friend. Um, Wait, hold on. Not in age, but in time known. Well, you're a very old man. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, in, ti- in time known. So when I got interested in science uh, almost uh, like 10 years ago, I mean, I was always reading science, but when I got obsessed and wanted to actually integrate science into my comedy, I started reaching out to some authors that I liked, and they were like, hey, do you know... Uh, 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 you might be interested in talking with some people researching humor. And through a series of emails, I eventually got connected with Peter McGraw, and we just happened to be both at the same comedy festival. Peter himself was just getting into the world of studying comedy. I was trying to put science into comedy. We met, and it would have been an unjust world if we never would have met, right? And uh, and and so I met Peter. Uh, Peter is a business uh, professor, and he also uh, is a humor researcher. Who wrote, He wrote a book called The Humor Code, which I like more than he does. And... Uh, and <laughs> And so this book, Shtick to Business, he actually um, asked me to contribute some sections because it's business lessons from the world of comedy. And so I have like little anecdotes and little observations I've made in the course of my career that are applicable to some of the lessons that you're learning in the book. And so that's why we're kind of doing this uh, dual podcast. Yeah, it's fun. So um, we were before when we were prepping for this, I was trying to figure out how long I knew Shane and I was like, well, when was it that you were um, fat? I was never fat. And you're like, I was never fat. My face was fat. My face was bloated from alcohol. Yes. Yeah, yeah, from <laughs> alcoholism. Now, now we'll have, I weighed the exact same I do today, which is too little. Um, and so so I, I had, uh, which really, you get, that, you get that shirt off. If you have a big red fat, alcoholic face and then you take your shirt off and you're just like skin and bones that really it exaggerates both in a (laughs) in a negative way so you uh your face is nice and thin these days thankfully yeah um so shane yeah so as he said we've known each other for nearly 10 years and he's a stand-up comedian who specializes in science he has two touring shows he's a he is a road comic he's a homeless road comic home free home free uh, one by choice. I live in Airbnbs. I'm a in your home comic. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I live? I live. I live with you, listener. Um, so one of the shows is called Stand Up Science. I've done it. It's it's fantastic. It's a half comedy, half science show. Yeah, it's like the world's funniest TED talk. Yeah, it's half uh, half comedy sets and half science talks, and it's blended together. And then the second one, which is a special version of stand-up science, is called Head Talks. Yes, yeah, a psychedelic version. Yes, and um, and you can find Shane um, in the recent documentary film Psychonautics, Psycho- a comics exploration of psychedelics, and that's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, that's where I watch. Talked with all the top uh, psychedelic researchers, and then did a bunch of drugs. Yes, he tried to do all the psychedelics. Yeah, cut short by doing too many psychedelics and uh and and more than half of you will know this he hosts here we are um the science podcast so we're going to give you a little this is uh this is launching on i'm not joking on april 1st on the launch date of the book i just realized that you're bad at self-deprecate like when you self-deprecate like oh more than half of you will will be listening to the here we are podcast or like like when you do it it's just it's just sad and real (laughs) like comedians use self-deprecation it's like hey look at me aren't i a dummy and uh, you're like hey that's funny uh, but but when you do it it's like oh come on cheer up bud uh it's okay that's really funny i need to (laughs) it's uh so actually this is that's a perfect segue yeah um uh, so the way the book is is laid out is uh, as, as shane mentioned he has these these sections we call it shtick with shane um and we have a little shtick figure of, yeah. of shane in there and um so each each chapter is uh, built around a lesson 
and um and then in it are the sort of comedic anecdotes and stories as mm-hmm. well as the 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 takeaway for the for the business person and then business cases that illustrate this principle in action and so one of the things uh, that i write about is turning a bug into a feature mm. and, yeah and so that some of that came from my observations of self de- self deprecation yeah so you know, I, I go to a lot of stand-up shows, less now than I used to. I'm a little, <laughs> a little bored yeah. of it all. But hey, I, comedians don't go to comedy it's shows. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, it. When's the last time? Oh, I went to see my my friend Rachel Feinstein recently because we happened to be in the same town, and I hadn't seen her in years. And and uh, you know, we we've had a special connection. We recorded our our Comedy Central presents on the same night. She used to um, stay in my extra room back when I was living in Malibu sometimes, and I hadn't seen her in years. And and so that is that is to say, it takes a very special <laughs> circumstance for me to go and see a comedy show when I'm off the clock. I'll give you an example is I don't attend my colleagues lectures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah. I do enough lecturing. Yeah. So um but but what a comic will often do um more often than not is the first thing that they will say mm-hmm. or among the first things that they will say is they will make fun of something that's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. They're too tall, they're too short, they're too fat, they're too skinny, they're too hairy, they're too bald. They're yeah. too pretty. They're too ugly. I used to. I used to have a joke. Um, How to go? It was something. I know the punchline, but this. I, I don't. I'm not recalling the setup. It was something like, um, "I'm freakishly skinny um, because there's a hole in my butt." <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Um, uh, but but the point is, is like. The point is, is that was my single biggest insecurity. All growing up, I got mocked for being skinny. I didn't mm-hmm. think any girl was ever going to like me and all of these things because I wasn't a big, strong, tough guy, man. And, and I had the uh, same I had the same issue. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, uh, you know, and that was uh, and, and when I got called names and things, it was always related to that. Mm-hmm. It was, I was the skinniest uh, kid in my class. And uh, and so and so that was. That was something that was like this traumatic issue and a big insecurity for me. And so, you know, to, uh, it, as silly and dumb of it, which was kind of the point, um, uh, it, it's still, you know, there's there there's a lot of kind of bravery in there to even mo- because most people when they're insecure about something they mask it yes. or they don't they avoid it. it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. You know, my I used to remember I used to wear clothes that were just much too big. For yeah, me. me too. Yeah, I mean, part of it is because if you're long and lean like we are, it's hard to find shirts that have a long enough sleeve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you end up buying like an extra large shirt and it just swims on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not like that disguises the fact. Yeah, that you're, I used you're to lean. get baggy pants, thinking that would make my legs look bigger. But it's just like people just see. The, the lack of filled space <laughs> in, in the, they, they see all of that empty like draping cloth <laughs> hanging off of your bones it, it does you it does you no service i don't miss the 90s either yeah, those, yeah those pants were all the rage so um so i think this is a neat idea because um as as i've studied um in the humor research lab we you know we say that that humor arises from benign violations from things that are wrong yet okay Mm -hmm. and self-deprecating comedy has both of those elements right you're pointing out something that's wrong but what makes it okay is you're the one who's pointing it out on yourself Mm -hmm. and so it's an easy path to a laugh until i do it and (laughs) (laughs) and um but then it also has this licensing effect which is if i'm willing to make fun of my most insecure elements of myself then I can make fun of everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made fun of me first. That's an interesting uh, take. Yeah, it has a. It yeah. has a. I, I call it a sort of licensing effect. So yeah. So um, what's what's fascinating is comics are sort of honed in on this idea of what are my bugs, mm-hmm. what are my problems, mm-hmm. and how can I turn them into a feature, into something that actually works for me, not against me. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I, you know, I encourage people in business and businesses themselves 
to be on the lookout for their bugs and say, hey, can you turn them around into a feature? What a breath of fresh air to see any kind of marketing that isn't just this like upsell, like self-aggrandizing. New, great. It's just like I mean, it's kind of like the um, it's kind of like the the banner blindness or whatever of the internet when every every banner used to flash, yes, and that would at first get people's attention, and then that flashing just Pavlovian training, people learned to just completely ignore any flashing banner, mm-hmm. and so it did the opposite effect, and and we're kind of in that world with with saying the best, the greatest, that sort of thing just doesn't really work or mean anything to anybody anymore and uh, yeah and so i think that's uh so i think there's like opportunity of course like looking at your bugs they just may remain bugs Mm -hmm. but sometimes they could be turned into a feature with a little bit of creativity so so do you have like a do you have like one example from a a business that's that's used this yeah so i my i'll give you my favorite i have a whole bunch in the book Mm -hmm. but uh, my favorite is um buckley's so Buckley's, Buckley's Buckley's is a Canadian cough syrup. Oh, I don't. I'm a patriot, so I would, <laughs> I would never. <laughs> I only I only drink American cough syrup. <laughs> I, I like that. This, I, I'm gonna new business plan. I'm gonna start making hyper patriotic cough syrup to sell. <laughs> Uh, in America, that's a, that's a market that hasn't been cornered yet. Anyway, go on. Bu- Buckley's, what so, are they doing? So Buckley's was sitting at oh, yeah. number nine in the Canadian. Oh, geez. How, well, how are we gonna get it up there? It's uh, nine right now, and I just don't. We make we got the best syrup on the market here. What are what the heck are we doing wrong here? So, so for for listeners who don't know this, um, Shane is from uh, Wisconsin, <laughs> so he's like. I'm a half a step in. away, <laughs> yeah, away yeah, from yeah, being yeah. Canadian. Oh yeah, oh, just scoot right on over there. <laughs> so, um, so if you're number nine in the Canadian cough syrup market, you're not doing well. Oh, what the heck are we gonna do? And so, um, so Buckley's had a problem, and that is that the cough syrup tasted terrible, like truly awful. And so you could say, well, okay, you know, maybe that's keeping people away. Because it's yeah. already aversive to have a cough and then have to um, to take your medicine. Yeah, throw some sugar in that. Exactly. Add cherry flavor and so on. Oh, and, please don't add cherry flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, what, did, uh, what did Buckley's do is they actually leaned into the bad taste. So they, they changed <laughs> their, their, their slogan to, um, it tastes awful and it works. Oh, that's amazing. Right? Yeah. So the implication being... It works mm-hmm. because it tastes awful. Like yeah. cough syrup's supposed to be murdering these germs and viruses. The things that are are doing that for you should taste like medicine. I I wonder how much. It, I I wonder if this was just a fun, clever idea, and and that was that, or if they also knew about kind of how the placebo effect works Mm. because because the placebo effect does uh, you know the more intrusive the harder it is the more the placebo effect uh it's more believable that this yes it's more believable essentially bitter pills work better than sugar pills yeah larger pills Mm, (laughs) that sort of thing you know there's um oh so so they had like sayings like not new not improved so they really, like, they yeah, really yeah. The, the large our largest size is 200 milliliters any any larger would be cruel <laughs> right so it, you know yeah. so it was it ended up becoming so it ended up becoming number one in the cough syrup market um like it totally by leaning into that bug and oh, turning we it into did it <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh darn it we did it so that's um so that's a nice example of that of that thing as a quick uh as a quick aside Speaking of that, there there's a recent paper on placebo surgery. Have you heard about this? Oh, the the opening up the heart. And this doing... is a this is a meniscus one that I read. Mm. So they do they. This is in one of these sort of northern European countries that have socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. So they randomly assign patients who have a meniscus tear mm-hmm. to either the typical meniscus surgery where they, they go in there and with clean the heart it up. condition they did this exact same thing and then they do one where they go in there and they kind of bang around but yeah. they don't actually do the surgery yeah they just cut you open so you're right back up yes and same results 
Uh, yeah, it's actually the uh, the heart one that was similar that they did. There was some they couldn't tell if some like new valve or something was working or hurting matters, and so they had the the uh, they had the control group of doing nothing. They had the surgery group, uh, and then they had the fake surgery group just cut you open, sew you right back up. And the fake surgery group actually did better. That's amazing be- because the because the placebo. I mean. Uh, uh, the placebo effect is not to be discounted. It's incredibly powerful. It's incredible. What the what the body can do when it believes you're like fixing it or like attitude is just so important. I can't believe I'm alive with the attitude that I have uh, toward life. <laughs> I should but. live for. I should live till I'm a hundred with my attitude. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting how we are um, are such good friends, but are really so different in in, uh, in so very many compatible ways. ways. Yeah, I'd say. complimentary. Yeah, yin and yang. Yes, I you and, have and you don't believe in yin and yang, so there you go. <laughs> you have a, a blank sheet of paper in front of you, and I have three sheets of paper in front of yeah. me, filled with writing. Well, if I uh, think anything interesting, <laughs> I, I mean, first off, I'm not gonna. If I think of something interesting to say, I'm not gonna wait till you're done talking. I'm just gonna <laughs> spray. I'm just gonna spring it out there. You want this podcast to be nice and organized and flowing in this structured way. Well, I got some bad news for you, Pete. I'm going to throw a wrench in those plans. Indeed. So why don't I uh, let you do that? So uh, no, I, uh, I, I'm uh, all, all, all kidding aside. I love, I love the idea of of kind of going going through from uh, from start to finish. And I, I mean, this is one of the many ways in which you benefit my life is by showing me the power of organizational oh, habits. Um, so so there's other things like uh, like the first thing. Is uh, is reversing it? So comedians use reversals all the never. all the time. See yes. what I did there? I did. You thought I was gonna do that? And uh, usually they're better. Uh, there's a little self-deprecation on top of that. I know I'm tagging things. I'm really on a roll here. Um, but but the idea is is you you build an expectation and 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 you so you you have like the rule of three is a is a good example of a comic uh, sets the premise. And then the second example builds an expectation, and then with the third example, uh, you talk about your genitals. Um, <laughs> sing and a little twisteroo there. That's what you want to do. Uh, you get people expecting something, and then whoa, you turn the other way. It's a classic comedy technique. Um, take my wife, please. Yes. Um, I actually have a Henny Youngman example in the book. Which is uh, so. So I'm going to give the listener a chance to see if they can if they can be a comic. Mm. So the 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 setup to the joke is um, when I read about the dangers of drinking, I gave up. Do 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 reading. Boom! Yes. It's a great joke. It's a good it's joke. A fantastic. It, hol- joke. it holds up today. It holds up today. Yeah, more than ever actually, because mm. alcohol is much more dangerous. Now than it used to be. <laughs> I'm not sure that's no, true. No, the beliefs about it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so so yeah. So so comedians use the, this is this is like first year of, of comedy. Like you better have the reversal figured out within the first month of doing comedy. But but our our business is able to use this same um, uh, this same technique. I, I mean, a lot of this stuff is kind of just about divergent thinking and thinking outside of the box but but this reversal is kind of one example of it right yeah i think i mean in comedy it's everywhere it's punchlines and premises so you know the the movie train wreck is a is a reversal and premise which mm. is you take the typical rom-com roles and then you just flip them and you mm. make you make the female role the typical male role and vice versa so um, i'll give you an example of this uh, that i liked which um which is patagonia so Patagonia, the outdoor gear company, you know they they're they're living in a world where sustainability matters. That their their customers care about sustainability. These are people who 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 love the outdoors, love the environment, are concerned about climate change and so on. And so all of these companies are trying to be sustainable companies. It's hard to be a sustainable company because you're making stuff and you're mm. shipping stuff and so on. And so Patagonia ran this campaign called. Don't buy this jacket. 
<laughs> and so they had a picture of one of their popular, yeah, yeah. popular jackets with in big, bold letters, don't buy this jacket. Yeah. You know, telling people the cost to the environment of making the jacket and only asking them to buy the jacket if they truly, truly need it. Yeah. Right. I And I don't know why I'm thinking of this right now, but I just want any female listener out there to know that if you come to one of my shows, please don't hit on me <laughs> after Jeez. after the shows. <laughs> I'm so glad you made that joke and I did not. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think so. Did, uh, did I just get canceled? Come <laughs> on, that was adorable. It's, a, it's I'm a, harmless. It's not a bad one. So the but so that the idea is thinking in reverse. Mm-hmm. Is first of all, I think the average comic sort of naturally does it. But as you said, if they didn't naturally do it, they learn to do it very mm-hmm. quickly and learn to internalize it. I think the average person, as they think about their career or think about their business or think about their problems, they don't naturally think in reverse. Mm. And it's not guaranteed that thinking in reverse is going to to cause you to come up with a creative idea. But when you do, mm. it's likely to be highly novel, right? It's because if the whole world is always thinking, how do we lower prices? How do we lower prices? And you think, well, how can we raise prices? Mm-hmm. It gives you a chance to, to start thinking differently than you would otherwise. Mm-hmm. And and it should, be, it should be clear that this is not a book about being funny. Yeah. I mean, you you might learn some tips or tricks. It but, might be funny. There's some, laughs along, there's some laughs along the way, and it's entertaining, but it's definitely not at all an instruction manual on how to be funny. I actually it's tell people. Lessons about the world, of uh, from yes. the world of comedy about doing... And, and by the way, as you're talking, you know, you say it's... Um, uh, business lessons. I think a lot of this is is stuff people could use in their individual lives. Just in, in in terms of thinking outside of the box and uh, and even 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 just like you know everyone wants to stand out. You know they want their lawn to stand out. And, and they, they want they want their wardrobe to uh, uh, to make an impact. And 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 like a, a lot of these kind of divergent thinking, reversing it kind of things, they can be applied to so many different aspects of life, not just to, for like the small business owner out there. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think like you know you you um, I mean I've pitched it as a business book because I've been trying to bring my day job as a business school professor and my night job decoding comedy together but i i agree it, i could have come up with a, a different shtick to yeah something idea i mean what can't this book do <laughs> <laughs> can be a coaster you could use it for self-defense um <laughs> as we as we yeah, see yeah, yeah, yeah. You you could you could warm yourself in a in a real uh, distressing situation when you're done with it. You could just start start a campfire with it. There's so many things, and 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 this is exactly what uh, this is kind of what comics do is seeing like lots of other other uses yes for things and and businesses could it could help from benefiting from this too isn't there there's there's a lot of uh isn't there a lot of like academic tests like the, this of, of like giving someone like a paper clip or something yes, like yes, that yes. and asking them asking them to name the various different alternative um uh, ways in which that they can use this and like children are really good at it and, and adults suffer from this yeah so um so one of the things that shane did for me was he he pushed me to put more science into the book, mm. and uh, so there's something called the alternative uses test, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a test of creativity, and what you do is you take an everyday object, a brick or a paper clip, and you put it in front of a person, and you give them like two minutes to come up with as many uses for this beyond the obvious one, clipping paper together or you know mm-hmm. building a wall, and then. Um, you get you basically have judges who judge the number of ideas um, and their um, kind of complexity and creativity, mm-hmm. and so you can you can give someone a score how how good they are at this. So it essentially simultaneously measures persistence. Right? So you work harder, you get more more uh, uses, and then. And then divergent thinking. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating about this is that comics, as Shane just demonstrated, are really good at this. Mm-hmm. So this uh, and prisoners, 
Uh, you, a prisoner might get your book and they're using it to hide the shiv in. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe you have LSD on one on one page. You could tear out a page, turn it into a paper airplane to send a note across the hall to See, the next. He's cell. Show, now Shane's showing off. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, so what's fascinating is this this um, graduate student at MIT did a did his doctoral dissertation on creativity. And and in particular, looking at at comedians' creativity, and he, um, in a study, he pitted comedians against professional product designers mm-hmm. in the alternative uses test, mm-hmm. and the comedians won. Mm. So not only did they come up with more um, examples, and then part of this is because they did come up with more examples, their examples were more creative. I I wonder how much of uh, and this is like somewhat funny, somewhat serious. Uh, thought that I'm that I'm having right. Now. I wonder how much of this is like naturally somewhat creative-ish person, or, or or a person that has developed their creativity over the years. However, you want to say it, mm-hmm. I, I a skill. They've developed I don't, a I don't skill. get into nature and nurture stuff as a false dichotomy, but but um, but. I wonder how much of it is like just desperation too. <laughs> like comics are pretty broke. When you're broke, you're you're living you're living within these really strict constraints, mm. and you do just by nature need to need to think of some really creative solutions. I I know my my friend Steve Gillespie has like jokes about why you should steal food from airports um, because they're ripping you off and stuff like that. and. Uh, that's like a joke that I, I don't remember how the joke goes. Sure. It's, it's the kind of joke that only a comedian would it, come it, up it with. It is very funny. <laughs> and it's also something that like derived from real life being broke and uh, on the road and whatnot. You, you know, um, I have I have a bunch of, and I don't know what to do with them. I have a bunch of lessons that didn't make it into the book, mm. which I like to say is a good sign because mm-hmm. you get the best stuff. But one of the lessons that didn't make it into the book, didn't make it into the book because I think it's bad, um, but it didn't make it into the book because I couldn't decide if I agreed with it or not. Mm-hmm. And it was called, it was originally called No Plan B. Mm. And it's it's not, um, it's not for comedians who don't use condoms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I, I was one of those guys. I mean, my, my plan B was go back to factory work, which I was not going to do. That yes. was not a plan B or make it work. Uh, and so you're, then you're working within these constraints. And, and, and I mean, I think I think it's an important – I think any li- – We should be clear yeah. just for people who, who haven't picked up on it yet is the idea behind No Plan B is um, I have talked to many comics who said if I hadn't made it as a comic, I, I might be dead. Like right. I don't – I didn't have anything to fall back on. If I didn't make it as a comic, I wasn't going to make it as a human being. Right. Versus the person who does have a plan B, you know, they're, you know, they're working in an office and then they go out and do open mics. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they have something to fall back on in terms of career, money, lodging, housing, opportunity, and so on. And. I, I just couldn't make up my mind about it, but you you clearly are a no plan B person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, to my detriment in a lot of ways. I I do. You know, the opposite point would be I know I uh, I met this comedian, and this is like what I would tell every comedian to model their career after. Um, I met this comedian who featured for me at this club. Mm-hmm. It's a good club in uh, Grand Rapids, and and. Uh, in Michigan, I'll, I'll actually right around the time that this is coming out, I'll, I'll be going through their headlining. It's a fantastic club. And the guy featuring was a guy who has, you know, he's a digital nomad, has a great computer job that he can work from anywhere. He's a pretty funny comedian, doesn't need mm. money from comedy and has the freedom to go. And he only takes the gigs that he likes. So he's at this club because, yes. and featuring's the gravy spot. It's the easiest way to get l- laughs is that middle spot. And so there's an opener, a, f- a feature uh, a act, and, and then, then, a, then a, headliner. a headliner. And opening a show is hard. Closing a show and being the main event is a lot of pressure and, mm-hmm. and, and hard and a lot of expectations. But featuring is like a really gravy spot and you can experiment a lot. And, and you, he, you actually write about you actually write about this in your shtick to Shane 
Do in I? the book. I don't even remember that part. I think it was uh, when you became a headliner, you said that you stopped taking big risks. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and Because the pressure's on, and now if you don't get asked back, uh, and, 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 you know, if you, if you take a few chances in the feature spot and the club owner's looking and it doesn't do well, they might kind of be amused by it and respect mm. that you took chances because they know it's not killing their show. Right. Whereas the headliner, like, better be funny. This is what people are going to come back for. Yeah. And and so do you want to work at that club again? So it's easier to just be safer and, and take fewer... Um, fewer chances, and this is all related to something that I I kind of wanted to bring up that we didn't talk about in the book, but is like really related to the book because I think that I think that the person buying this book uh, is not like Warren Buffett or something. I mean, no. Bill, Bill Gates does keep up with most of the things that I'm doing. Old Gates, you know, <laughs> we go back a ways, but um, but I think it, you know, I think it might be a lot of people that are like you know, kind of interested in starting a small business yes. or something and are working within the constraints of having not a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot of resources. And with that creates opportunity that you're going to be better off taking a lot of chances. You as a small business person can take way more chances than Coca-Cola can. Yes. In, in, in many regards. Yes, definitely. So this, um, so this issue of uh, I agree. So the I wrote the book for sort of two styles of reader. One is the person who's sort of working in a kind of traditional corporate culture and looking for an edge. Mm-hmm. You know, looking for a way to be better, to enjoy their work more, maybe pivot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is for a like a startup founder type, someone who's very entrepreneurial, who who just wants a different perspective, mm-hmm. and. Um, this issue of, of no plan B came up in the world of entrepreneurship on my other podcast. So I do, um, so I have this podcast called solo, the single person's guide for, to a remarkable life. And I talked to two entrepreneurs. Um, it's launching right around now also. And we talk about when do you go all in mm-hmm. essentially, which is the opposite. You know, when do you, when do you decide I'm quitting my day job and I'm going all in mm-hmm. And uh, what they said, which I thought was was correct, is you should be paying attention to the market. Like when the market is responding so favorably to your product or service that you you can't you can't ignore it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's the moment. Versus, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start this candle business. Mm-hmm. Right? It's fine to start a candle business, but do it on your nights and weekends. And then when, when you can't the keep, demand for your candles is so much that your work is interfering with it. That's right. Then that's a good time to sort of do it. And I think, I think there's probably a parallel in comedy. Absolutely. I, I so I I went from uh you know doing open mics, starting to showcase and stuff, and then you know I could kind of feel like things were going well for me and moving in the right direction, and I was starting to get those those first pay gigs and 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 making you know like uh I, I think I was maybe making like five hundred bucks a month or something like that like like pretty quickly which is like uh, b- by the way i hope this gives you pause before getting into the world of <laughs> that comedy. was we- that was this great. was like record setting yes. to be making like 500 dollars a month <laughs> like as early as i was like so many people were so jealous of me um and <laughs> and uh and and so i i immediately then went to temp work because you know some of these gigs were traveling for uh, you know two hours for like a wednesday night show or or what have you and then and then opportunities started popping up where maybe i could fly somewhere and and do like a thursday through through saturday gig Mm -hmm. and so i went from full-time employment to temp work that allowed me the flexibility to uh, be able to be mobile and then Oh my gosh! Here, here, here's something that like I told you about in the in the writing of the book, but it didn't it didn't really it wasn't applicable to anything for the book. But it's just a fascinating story. I was working as a security guard, yes, um, at, at a construction company, 
Um, boy, I, I, I've told this story so few times that I'm, I'm sure my listeners haven't even heard it. And so I basically, I was working construction at a, a temp construction at, for a construction company. I saw these security guys doing nothing. And I was like, how do you do that? I'm good at doing nothing. And, and then they're like, <laughs> oh, we'll give you a job. And I was like, great, sign me up. And so I start doing this, like, basically it's a, it's a sham security guy, a, a job. This construction company offset their liability costs like contractually with the insurance company they needed to technically have security there uh, even though uh, nothing was insecure uh, uh, yeah and 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 so this drove down yeah you know the money that they saved on insurance was was more than the money they're paying for security so they got it just for that so so like my instructions were to just not get caught sleeping, not not to not sleep, not get caught <laughs> sleeping. But they didn't even want me to talk to. They're like, if you happen to see someone maybe stealing something, like let the supervisor know. But don't even like bother these guys. You know, just stay out of their way. It was as simple as that. And and so it was like I would I would write uh, and and, uh, and I'd also like drive off and go and do comedy shows and stuff because I pick my own hours I take the overnight shift. But anyway, um, the first can, night can I interrupt for a second yeah. because I think this I don't want to lose this point because I know you're going to get to a punchline here. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is actually part of one of the lessons in the book. Yeah, is the idea that comedians not only are humanoids that they see things differently. But they're also willing, and th- and that they will break rules oh, yeah. in order to not only make things funny, but in order to make comedy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, and so, um, th- and it's also just like all of like government and legal systems and stuff like that. They just don't make sense to comedians. Yeah. like all of it's a joke to us. So I have a I have this story in. It's a fascinating story in the book. One of my previous guests on I'm not joking. Her name is Claire Downs. Yeah. So Claire is a as a LA based comedian, uh, writer, and so on, who hasn't made her big break yet. Mm-hmm. So she she takes these temp jobs also to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. But she will not let the temp job get in the way of her comedy. Mm-hmm. So she has all these hacks that she has come up with mm-hmm. that allow her. So first of all, she gets to work and she does the temp work as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And then she starts her real job, mm-hmm. which is writing comedy. And so, well, a lot of these temp jobs, you're just like they're just retaining you there in case they need. Like sometimes something comes up and they need another body. Yes. And so you're mostly just twiddling your thumbs, waiting for like an emergency situation to arise. So she has this thing called my favorite example of this. She has this thing she calls it her go bag. Mm-hmm. So she, when she packs for work, she takes a big backpack. And puts her comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. She she puts some stuff in that big backpack. Then she puts a small backpack in the big backpack, and in the small backpack is her comedy stuff. She gets to work. She does her temp work. Then she leaves the backpack on the back of her chair. She puts a coffee on her desk that's half full. She screws some candy wrappers, mm-hmm. and then she takes the go bag, and she goes somewhere to and does her comedy mm-hmm. work. And she tells like some story where she's like, oh yeah, I once pitched a meeting in Beverly Hills and everybody at work just thought I was in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, this yeah. Is, your story is reminiscent yeah, of that, right? Yeah, You're yeah. just like, oh, I got this job where I didn't have to really work and so I could they do my real work. They didn't want me to work. Yeah, that's I just needed to even be better. Yeah. You don't even have to be deceitful. And and uh, and and so I was, I, I, I was the first night that, so... So this construction site it had all these big apartment buildings, and and um, it was also on an old haunted insane asylum. So all these kids used to sneak up there and uh, and drink. This is before the construction project, and all, all and so um, so this was there was like some movie made about it or whatever uh, about how this place was haunted so this is a big party air area before the construction moved up there so anyhow then the first night that i was on cone and then i'm making my late night debut i'm still working this temp job at the time but i took off to go down and do conan of course <laughs> this and, is hollywood <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then i and then i go uh and I'm on, and then I find out the next day what happened was some kids 
snuck onto the property, were partying or whatever, having having beers and stuff, ended up going into one of the unfinished buildings, turned all of the gas on on like a three-story building, and it exploded. It, not only did it explode, but across like 100 feet away, all of the siding, all of the windows and stuff on the next building and another building. I mean, it was it was a monster of an explosion. A cop sees this explosion because it's up on a hill. Yes. A cop sees this explosion, puts on his lights, comes flying up there. He's radioing it in, calling the fire department and everything else. Yeah, you know, and uh, and he gets up there, and there's a uh, the security guards just sleeping in his car with this huge fire going on behind him, and that would have been me. And then they then they looked into the uh, they looked into this security company. You know, they didn't have the exact like proper licensing and stuff i'm sure after all and, and we know how good the security checks are and they dissolved and uh we're no longer a company and then i found myself out of work after my first conan set because of that and that's when i became a full-time <laughs> comedian so so it's also it's not just the market sometimes there's just these right opportunities yes uh, <laughs> that, that that arise but that's a you know in a, in an age where you might have a side gig going on and then one day you get laid off mm -hmm. you know that's that's sometimes the perfect opportunity for somebody they can collect unemployment for six months or whatever and and get their get their uh you know baby off the ground yeah i i'm not um i'm not a religious man i don't believe in fate but i do believe in paying attention mm -hmm. and sometimes it seems like the world's speaking to you mm -hmm. and so that um we can thank those uh those rowdy kids yeah yeah you know the this idea of kind of breaking rules in order to to be successful to make it work is yeah. Is not just a theme in comedy. So there's so there's some companies that have employed well, this. You know, I think it's more. I think you find it more on the kind of entrepreneurial side. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about the failure rates of new business, they're so high. Um, how that, high are they? You know, it depends <laughs> on how you measure it, but ninety percent plus failure rates. You know what I mean? So yeah, and um, and as as time goes on, those failure rates go even higher. Mm -hmm. You know. It's it's easy, you know, it's easy to stay in business for a month, but stay in business for 3 years mm. is hard to do. I mean, isn't if you like break even your first year as a company, isn't that just like considered tremendous? I think so. You know, you know, you know, people think about how long people complained that Amazon was losing money. Mm -hmm. You know, Uber still loses money. Mm -hmm. and so on. So the so you think about how hard it is to be an entrepreneur, how hard it is to come up with a great idea, how hard it is to escape the competition, how hard it is to just make enough money, you know, to, excuse me, to survive, so to speak. You get into these situations where you might have to kind of bend the rules a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your own version of the go bag, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, Sarah Blakely uh, was a door-to-door fax salesperson so this gives you a, an idea of how long ago um this this was going on sounds like a pretty terrible job yeah so she had one of those cl classic there's got to be a better way moments where she had a pair of of pants that basically would show panty lines and so in order to um to avoid this she took like panty hose and she kind of she cut the feet off of those and it was kind of smooth the look for mm. her well, that turned into Spanx, hmm. right? These sort of compression style undergarments um, that are well, changed my life. Uh, my, yeah. I mean, my figure is <laughs> so much better since well, the invention of to Spanx. To give you an idea of how valuable Spanx is as an idea, Sarah Blakely is a billionaire hmm. now. But um, as genius as it all seems, it wasn't easy for her to do. So, hmm. for example, she got lucky. Um, so all of the producers of, of like pantyhose, hosiery and so on were all men hmm. and she couldn't get anyone to, to make it for her because they just didn't see the value in it because they had been doing hosiery a certain way for so long. One of them basically was at dinner one night and has three daughters and was like, oh yeah, I had this meeting with this entrepreneur. Of course, wasn't no one used the term entrepreneur back then. That's mm -hmm. a new term, you know. Uh, what do you think of these? And the daughters were like, oh my God, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's your dose of luck. 
Mm-hmm. Then when when Spanx launched, she contacted everyone she knew, like even people she hadn't talked to since like fourth grade, and asked them to buy the product. And then she would send them checks in the mail to reimburse them for their purchase mm-hmm. just to create some velocity in the eyes of the retailers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one thing, once she realized was like, I think she was working working with, it was Neiman Marcus, I think, which is a great store to get into. But they put Spanx in like the pantyhose department. And she was like, my customer doesn't buy pantyhose. They're not even going to go to that part of the store. And so when no one was looking... She took the product and she moved it to the cash registers mm-hmm. of the store where people would sort of happen upon it. And uh, and what happened was the people working the cash register assumed that she must have permission mm. to do that. And you put it in front of the cash register, people saw this. And, you know, as you might imagine, these women were like, this is genius. Oh, my God, this solves, you know, this so, problem. So... Basically, for any listener, (laughs) what you should be learning from that whole story is if you want to help us out, go to your local Barnes & Noble, find the shtick to business, take those, bring it to the cashier, and arrange them (laughs) in front a little bit. uh, Well, I think it's even worse. I don't think I'm going to be in Barnes & Noble, so what we need to do is have people bring it in and try to buy it. (laughs) (laughs) And be like, "Um, we don't have this in stock. You need to have this book in stock. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So... um, I, I'm curious. I don't think I've asked you this in private, Shane. Um, do you have a, I mean, aside from the ones that we've already talked about, did you have a particular lesson that you, that you kind of liked? Oh, geez. It was the, um, oh God, God. It, it was the, um, the response. It was toward the end, man. It was, it was, it was the response. It was like the email response um of of saying that it, you're probably going to not like that this is one of my favorite lessons but oh saying but, no uh, like how to tell somebody no yes okay yes was like incredible because you are really great at phrasing things uh <laughs> in, in a way that's like it's like uh, it's bordering on deception um but it's just it, it's just like putting it in a really good like professional way it's like oh, okay i can't argue with that but um can i i'll give i yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah, yeah. Th- this might change a lot of lives i i mean uh, this had an impact on me, All right. a- and I need a refresher too because this is a good reminder for me to start implementing this. Okay, one. I'm going to give you. I'll give you the lesson, and then I'm going to give you a little bonus lesson that didn't make it into the book. Oh, fantastic! Okay, so, so the the it's it's I have these things called act outs. So these are kind of mini lessons. They weren't big enough to make a chapter out mm-hmm. of, but they weren't small enough that I could. I felt like I could overlook them. So so the last act out in the book is called getting from yes to no. Mm. And in it, I talk about how when you're young in comedy or in business, you're carrying a spear. You're just looking for opportunities. Mm-hmm. You're, everything's outbound. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, hey, Shane, you want to be on my show? Yes. Absolutely. Shane, do you want to be on my podcast? I'm I'm begging to get on an open mic. That's you know, right. I'm signing up. I'm waiting for the slight chance that maybe I'll get picked to be on this horrific yes. show. And then what happens is, and you're, I think, I think you're there in your career, frankly. Yeah, I'm. I'm one of the better open micers out there. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, you get, <laughs> you get successful enough. Yeah. That now things start becoming inbound. Yeah. You start getting lots and lots of requests and questions and so on. Yeah. And so my argument is, you have to trade in your spear for a shield. Mm. And and the one of the best shields is is just simply saying no. Yeah. And the problem is is the average person is really terrible at saying no. Mm-hmm. And so, how how should so so the way the average person says no is they say something like, "I'm terribly sorry, but I'm just way too busy these days. You know, maybe you could try me again in a month or two, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't do it. Well, there's multiple problems." with the way you're saying no one is you're inviting the person to ask you again Mm -hmm. secondly you're inviting the person to judge you negatively right because you're saying i'm sorry um and 
which suggests that you've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And then when you say, I can't do it because I'm too busy, if you blame your busyness, now it seems to the person like you're out of control, like you don't have control over your Mm -hmm. life. And so um, it hurts you in in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion is, yes, you acknowledge that this is an opportunity, a good opportunity in the eyes of your of your of your the person requesting it so say Shane thanks so much for thinking of me I'm really flattered okay mm-hmm. so you acknowledge this was a good opportunity however unfortunately or something like that but unfortunately I'm unable to unfortunately do it. you're recognizing that you know for them this is bad news that's right I'm giving you bad news I know it's unfortunate mm-hmm but I'm not apologizing. Mm. I'm acknowledging, but not apologizing. And I'm unable to do it. Mm. I, Which means now we're not yeah. negotiating yeah, here. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's so fucking good. <laughs> and, and, and I, oh man, I'm, I got to send that to my assistant too. Um, and, you know the thing is is like that that's one of those lines here here's one thing we have in common where where i'll i'll uh sometimes break something down like mm. that like a, a trick that i use to someone yes and then they'll say uh to me um what i'm going to say to you which is i'm glad that you use your powers for good uh. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, because that is fucking clever and and, and and there's a lot of people that have a lot of clever tricks like that to uh, uh, to deceive people uh or, or you know for nefarious uh yeah i am using it I'm, I'm actually using it for it's it's doubly good it, it's it's benefiting everybody that's right you yeah. you leave with and, a no but feeling good and, about it and i have things like this because because i i have listeners that that might um that might be like oh i'm starting a podcast i sure would like shane to be on my podcast you know you know of course yeah i love hearing him on podcasts what a great guest Uh, this would be a big get for me and um unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) i i have i i i'm I'm actually not saying no i'm saying i have some i have some ground rules you need to have been doing your podcast for at least a year you need to have at least 50 episodes you need to have experience under your belt i I need to i need to listen to it first and and those are things that i've so i've implemented um uh, you, you know this is an this is an example of a shield yes. that I have that's a, put that's up fine. because because otherwise, um, uh, you, you know, as as I'm sure any listener can imagine, there are some people out there that have taken advantage of my time, and I find and I'm like, you know, I I kind of uh, I have a hard time saying no to people, and I'm like, sure, you know, you seem well intended, and I go okay, and then I end up having an exceptionally awkward conversation with this person that it's clearly like their first or one of their very first podcasts and they were not ready for this and I'm trying my hardest to pull all the weight mm-hmm. for them and it's making them look bad it's making me look bad and and this this shield is this shield's protecting them as well it's doubly know, beneficial you know? and yeah. it's so so uh, Peter, one one of the wait, wait, one can, of the lessons. Wait, hold on. I have to, I'm going to give the, the bonus. Yes. I know, I know. Let okay. me set it up. Oh, please. One of the lessons, uh, uh, one of the act outs is start strong and, and stronger. stronger. <laughs> so so let's give a, a I, what stronger way to finish the episode than than by have a a, a bonus uh, that isn't even in the book. This is it. If if you if you aren't listening, uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to this podcast, then you're you're also missing out on things for whatever I'm trying to say here. <laughs> Let's clean that up. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this is a fantastic bonus that, in addition to getting this book, um, you are. Um, <laughs> what are you? I'm ready. Let's clean that up so we can edit this. Oh out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> clean that up that's what i do <laughs> really oh nice um okay so the so this special bonus is built off of getting from yes to no and um and it goes something like this so if you feel really bad for this um i'm unable to do it response mm-hmm. what you say is you know thanks so much for uh for the opportunity unfortunately i'm unable to do it 
um, I'm spending um, my extra time on my secret project. Oh, that is good. That is good. And now, of course, I believe everybody should have a secret project. Yeah, I have so many secret projects. I, I wouldn't be lying in saying that. I just launched one recently. Yeah. I worked, on, I worked on that secret project for a year. Oh, my and, goodness. And that s- is so good. <laughs> so, Fuck. A, get a secret project. Oh, <laughs> he's, he's writing this right. down. <laughs> a, get a secret project. You owe it to yourself, especially if you have even the, yes. a touch of entrepreneurship in you. And I mean, B, you you lean on it mm-hmm. because when you start saying no to things because you're working on your secret project, guess what that makes you do? Mm. Work on your secret project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. That is so good. <laughs> well, this is fantastic. You are welcome, <laughs> listener. This is a terrific episode. This is the third time you've been on the Here We Are podcast, and this is – is this my second time on uh, – I don't think you've been on. I'm not joking. Have you? Uh, this is my very first time. My, uh, <laughs> well, my I had debut. to get I had to get 50 episodes before you would say yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, uh, well, thank you, uh, Peter, for joining me and also letting me join you on this uh, on this cooperative dual podcast this is a lot of fun it was fun i'm glad we did it yeah absolutely and uh thank you listeners for being such a wonderful curious uh people do you have like a little a little finishy thing that you do on your podcast i don't i, don't, I just thank my guests and say cheers uh, cheers everybody all right a podcast network